pastors get some great emails. You can only imagine, right? And they're not all great, but some of them are. And really, I could, I could start off a lot of sermons with an email of the week. And here's one that's not just an email of the week. I think it's an email for the month or maybe the year. It's been one of my favorites recently. Uh, someone, a, a new attendee of Fondren Church, only been here a few times. She wrote uh, me an email this week, and she uh, she said she had heard that uh, sometimes we just take questions. We do Q and A at church, and she said she liked that and wants to be a part of that. Sometimes she said she uh, likes that I like dogs. And she had a question about a dog. She said, uh, Robert, I love my golden doodle, uh, but we understand he's not going to live forever. And the next dog we get, it's got to be a German shepherd. And we're going to name this dog the Lord. So when someone asks, whose dog is this? We can reply, the Lord is my shepherd. One of my favorites. And she asked, is this wrong? That was the question. Okay. An actual email that I actually got. We're in a series that we're simply calling Sermon. And this series is a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I would love for you to have your Bibles open there. That would be great. Also, uh, we're going to take a peek at the end of the message real quick, like in John chapter 4. But Jesus uh, delivers this sermon. And when he delivers it, the universe holds its breath. History changes its course. He speaks this sermon, and it is a raging fire. It's sort of a scorched earth thing. Now, Jesus is not an arsonist. Jesus just knows. And his heartbeat, his impulse... What was coursing through his veins is that people, the world needed a new faith. Nothing was left untouched. He upended the religious structures, um, the spiritual systems of the day. He offended people, frustrated people. He left them thinking with this message. And we have been looking at it and talking about it thoroughly, about how counterintuitive it is. In Matthew, Jesus says things. We've already looked at a few of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed um, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I got those out of order, didn't I? Threw you off a little bit. And today we're going to look at Matthew 5, the next idea here, the next thing that Jesus talks about. Among the happy, he says, are blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the promise is, for they shall be filled. Look down at that and read that. Blessed, say that out loud. Blessed are those who hunger. Say hunger. Say thirst. Say righteousness. We have a little church up in here today, aren't we? You're going to be drinking the Kool-Aid before we leave. Don't do everything I say. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The setting of the Sermon on the Mount is there's a large crowd, but Jesus takes these men, these disciples, and breaks away from the crowd. But the crowd was rich and poor and young and old and Jews and Gentiles. 
people from the city of Decapolis, who, which was primarily a Greek town settled by Alexander the Great. People from Galilee, a predominantly Jewish crowd. And Jesus says to all those who would listen, to all the onlookers, to all those who are curious about this man who is making his mark. What is this thing he says about happiness? And it's so different. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, circle that word righteousness. You just said it out loud. It's this word. I think we have that Greek word up on the, it's dikaios. And that word, if you're a note taker, just write this. It means everything in its right place. This kind of righteousness that Jesus talks about is having everything in its right place, its proper place. Things, Jesus said, would be right between people and God. Things in their right place between people and people. And people in the earth. And people in their insides. Do you long for that? For things just to be made right? Are you ever overwhelmed with the world we live in when you see what's wrong? Does evil and suffering on a global scale ever get the best of you? Does what's happening inside your own torment? This week I had somebody gush to me. And it was one of those just day and night. One that maybe many of us thought was a blessed person, a happy person. And this person just gushed. Inner conflict. The turmoil. What had been inside, been stuffed down inside for so long. Some of you may have been here that Sunday when Melinda talked. And she talked about if you, if you bottle things up, anger and unhappiness and stuff. If you bottle it up, it's like a beach ball, you know, in the swimming pool. You push it down and it, it, it's going to come up with some thrust with some velocity. Uh, there was an actor this week, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Do you recognize the name? He's been in some big movies, some Titanic movies, literally Titanic, and a bunch of movies. And this week, as I watched rich celebrities, famous people, talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman, They talked about his hunger for heroin. They got the best of him. A life cut tragically short. What is it that drives us? Today when we are confronted with this teaching that Jesus gives, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. He's referring to a craving, to an ache, to a longing, to a very deep desire. For what? For the chaos, for righteousness, for things to be made right. Right between people and God. And right between people and people. Have you noticed that you won't be blessed if you got things out of place with people? You ever notice that? Just nod your head at that. I mean, you're not walking in God's blessing if things aren't right. With people, we're created for community. We have this longing for belonging. Years ago, a infamous killer, Ted Uzinski, the known as the Unabomber, 
He wreaked havoc. He garnered headlines. And notice the phrase, Una Bomber. One, Una, singular, solitary, alone. And this man gave up on love. Things weren't righteous. He wasn't righteous. Things weren't right with relationships. And he gave up on love and his life was about hate. And he rejected a world that he thought had rejected him. This hunger, this thirst is in us all. And Jesus is saying, you are blessed when you acknowledge it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, with this word hunger, I was thinking about a film. I saw an animated film several years ago named Over the Hedge. Anybody remember this movie, a cute cartoon movie, some great animals, some raccoons and skunks and other squirrels and those type of um, animals. And they, they were obviously animals from the woods, but humans, you know what humans do? We build suburbs, right? And we encroach on them and they sort of encroach on us. And Over the Hedge, this delightful comedy, uh, it depicted these these animals as they moved from the woods closer to human beings and they peered over the hedge and they had a leader. Do you remember the leader is played by voice by Bruce Willis. The leader was a raccoon named RJ and RJ was the leader. In one point in the film early, it shows RJ talking to the other animals, being a leader and he's, they're peeping into the home of these human beings. They're playing peeping Tom. And he says to his other fellow critters, as he's teaching them about life and their future contact with these human beings, he's teaching them the good news is, let's hang around here because these people are obsessed with their hunger, with food. We eat to live, they live to eat, RJ says. And he, he points to inside and he says, humans call their mouths pie holes. And you see that guy over there, he's a couch potato. He points to the dining room table and he says, this is the altar where they worship. He points to a treadmill and he says, this is what they get on when they feel guilty so they can eat more food. He points to a passing truck and he says, a truck, by the way, with pictures of food on it. And he says, human beings, they do this. They bring the food and ship the food and truck the food, drive the food. Uh, They eat the food. They consume the food. They're all about the food. And there's this aching hunger in us. Americans, we consume, don't we? I learned that we spend more money on food than we do on music, movies, videos, magazines, and newspapers combined. The average American eats two to three pounds of sugar a week. Just over a century ago, back when there were, when heart disease and cancer was far less common, the average American consumed about five pounds of sugar a year. Now, sugar can do what? Sugar tastes good. And sugar can give you that quick fix. It can boost you, can't it? It can boost your mood. Women are thinking, it's Valentine's. I got some sugar and chocolate coming this week, right? Right? Hint, fellas, hint, hint. But it can also boost the stress levels of the hormones in your body. It can allow the body to have to react to excess insulin. It it can cause, it is causing us problems. We can can obsess over food. 
most of us are obsessing that way. But some of us, there's even another kind of obsession. It's the organic movement. It's the obsession with outward appearance and the vanity thereof. And both can be equally guilty. Those are the folks who are excessively exercising. I'm all about exercising. You need to write, I hope you are. I'm a little stubborn right now in my life, but I'm learning and trying to do better. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 8, for bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, holding promise for this life and the life that is to come. In other words, exercise is good, but it's so temporal. And so Jesus wants to teach us about this subject of food. Food is in Scripture. From the very beginning, we see a God who creates and he says, you're hungry and I'm going to provide for you. He lays out a smorgasbord for Adam and Eve and he says, partake, I am a good God, I am your provider. And he creates a vast spectrum of food for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, and has given us over 10,000 taste buds so that we can enjoy high definition taste. And on February 4th, 2014, God brought to Jackson, Mississippi, Whole Food Market. And the prices were set by Satan. <laughs> but this scripture, God says, in fact, in Ecclesiastes 9, 7, it says to enjoy your food with gladness. But Jesus teaches us. About a God. Let's look at John 6 on the screen. Jesus teaches us about a God who provides. It says he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This was Jesus in John 6 referring to the Israelites in the wilderness and the manna from heaven. But next Jesus teaches us that not all food is created equal. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the good that endures to eternal life. And if anybody missed it. He's referring to himself in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to be hungry, whoever comes to me rather, will not go hungry. How many times have you treated a troubled soul like a growling stomach? And Jesus wants to teach us to feast properly and to fast properly. And to understand the sole source of it all. And Jesus is good enough. And I'm just going to preach it. Because we lead the nation. We know about our obesity epidemic. Mississippi is number one. And we need to preach this. And I know too the pain of many who struggle, not just girls, with the eating disorder. In all our abuse, in all our dysfunction with food and with hunger, Jesus can be, he can be our healer. He can be our portion. He can be our cup. He wants to be the bread of life. Blessed are those who hunger. And he says here, blessed are those who thirst. Look on the screen, if you would, at Isaiah 55. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here's a passage, and you see 
this prophetic word uttered by the largest prophet of the Old Testament, saying, mentioning three liquids for thirsty people. Do you get that water and wine and milk? Now, when it comes to wine, opinions vary, don't they? I mean, just acknowledge that. I mean, there's a little bit of confusion, but opinions vary. I mean, Paul said in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk with wine in which is excess. Proverbs chapter 40 says that wine is a strong drink. It's a mocker. It'll take you down a road that you don't want to go down. But here we see it celebrated at feast and festival. Jesus, you know, in John 2, turned water into wine at a wedding. Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, when it comes to wine, there are, and maybe among us, there are wine connoisseurs, okay? Wine connoisseurs. Now, wine connoisseurs, now we see them. We know who you are. You're pictured in VIP magazine locally, okay? Don't be ashamed. We love you. But wine connoisseurs, they don't drink wine to quench their thirst. They drink wine to enjoy the intricate flavors. They drink wine to uh, celebrate the distinctive elements of the beverage. They're concerned about um, showing off a little bit. They're concerned about culture and refinement and appropriate manners. Do you know that there's a right way to hold a wine glass and wrong ways? White wine is, is stored, it's, at, at, uh, it's chilled, isn't it? It's held by the stem, and red wine is served at room temperature, and it's held by the bulb. And if you've ever been around a wine connoisseur, I did a wedding a couple of years ago in Napa Valley. I hung out with some wine connoisseurs. They're all in Susan's side of the family. <laughs> like to clarify, out in California, the land of the fruit and nuts and wine connoisseurs. But wine connoisseurs will stand and they will talk about the year of the wine and the, the region in which it was produced and the type of grapes and the chemical elements. And they'll talk about legs. Ever heard of legs with wine? Legs refer to uh, how it sticks to the glass as you swirl it around. And there's some beautiful phrases um, with wine. You don't, you don't ever talk about um, um, smelling the wine. Uh, you're, you're being enhanced by the bouquet. And there's just a lot of different things that you have to learn about wine. Now, wine connoisseurs are a tribe all their own. But do you know that there are religious connoisseurs? People who parse words and who have a certain doctrine and dogma. Now, listen to me. Be careful so I'm not misunderstood. But these are the people who tend to separate people. These are people who, because of certain positions, they don't associate or congregate with people who are not like them. Now, there's nothing wrong with solid doctrine. In fact, there's everything right with solid doctrine. Second Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God so that you can be a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Doctrine is a good thing, 
But when we wrongly use it, the problem with doctrine and dogma is when it gets so far from Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, he's speaking to us not to play the part of religious connoisseurs. To have our lingo and our stuff. To have our own language. To have the lines of demarcation drawn of who's in and who's out. As you see, we're all thirsty. We're all thirsty. This week, Miss Linda, I don't know if you're aware of this, but my sixth grade teacher is in the room, and my own Haley taught me something this past week. Um, they, the, her and the girls in the class, I don't know if you've ever seen this, they've got a little thing. I don't know if I can do this with a handheld. But they got this thing, and she calls it, um, I have to put my Bible up. They do this thing like this. And what they're saying is, brush my teeth, comb, curl my hair. You get that? Brush my teeth, curl my hair. And what they're doing, what are they doing? They're saying, that guy's crazy, right? Brush my teeth, curl my hair. They got their little lingo. She does it to her brothers around the house. I'm starting to do it now to people. Brush my teeth, curl my hair, Right? But it's just so easy for us, like my daughter, to kind of have our little symbols and our sign languages, to have our little culture, our subculture of religion. And Jesus is saying that our thirst, it's common for all of us. And for us to say, Jesus, we are thirsty. But there's a couple of things wrong with this as it relates to us. The first is that we don't readily acknowledge our thirst. And another thing is what we think can quench our thirst is actually killing us. You see, there are things that quench our thirst and there are things that mask our thirst. I was thinking yesterday about my past as an athlete that really didn't last much longer than fourth grade. But I, I was a really good t-ball player. Do you guys remember t-ball? And what do you remember about t-ball? What I remember back in the day, way back in the day in Starkville, Mississippi, way, way back in the day, is that everybody got to play. Everybody was rewarded. Everybody got to play in the outfield. Everybody socialized in the outfield. But after the game, I remember that moms or dads would rotate bringing drinks and snacks. Do you remember, you remember that? I guess it's a lot of the same, but, but the drinks were different back then. They were all carbonated. It was an assortment of carbonated beverages. So drinks full of caffeine and sodium and sugar and other elements. But those three elements combined with other things can... They can give a moment of refreshment, can't they? But they don't, they don't quench your thirst. In fact, sugar, sodium, and caffeine actually work to dehydrate you. And so it can be. You know, I think a sermon, it, it, it's a beginning of a discussion. And I would like for you today to look at John chapter 4. To, to read about this woman who comes to Jesus at a well and she's thirsty. And in John 4, 23, it says that the father 
is seeking. That there's actually a hunger, if you will, with our Heavenly Father. And He's seeking what? Do you know this story? He's seeking those who would worship Him. And we see in this woman, if you look at John 4.10, you see a woman who... She needed to learn about being in awe. She needed to learn about being in awe. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, it is so easy to live our lives in a spiritual coma, to walk around with our senses deadened to what God wants to do, missing the Savior, missing the moment, missing his goodness, missing the portion and the cup and the provision that he wants to give us. To worship Jesus is to come with a a sense of awe and also with a sense of abandonment. John chapter 4 and verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that she had been drinking of, the sugary Salt, caffeine-laden water after the t-ball game. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. There's this sense of abandonment when we understand who he is. And worshipers, verse 28 and 29 of John 4. So the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me, All that I've ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now leave that passage up. Worship that pleases the heart of God. Worship that's worship in spirit and truth. Is worship in action. It's having a sense of awe. It's having a sense of abandon. It's having a sense of action. What did she do? She left. She went. And she said to the people... Some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Come see a man. Is there a greater reality for you and I? This morning, I want to ask you, as we are confronted with this sermon, the sermon, where's your hunger and where's your thirst? And do you find yourself today in more of denial? You're not a person to acknowledge that. You're a person, as the prophet Jeremiah said, you're going to those broken cisterns. Life is leaking on you. You're not being filled up. And Jesus' invitation is to the one who's not acknowledging their thirst. And it's to the one who's masking their thirst, not having their thirst quenched. Maybe it's no, your hunger and your thirst is never going to be replicated like a Unabomber or a rich, famous Hollywood actor who dies alone with heroin. But I wonder where your hunger and thirst is taking you. I got to talk this week with somebody who's an awful lot like me who has this people-pleasing thing, this hunger and thirst to always make sure everybody likes him. And what a broken cistern that is. 
and what a poor follower of Jesus I will be if I don't take that hunger and that thirst and let Christ fill that, to let him be my portion, to let him be my come. Come see a man. Jesus can make all the difference. Blessed are those, say it with me, church, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for. The righteousness is what? Dikaios. Things in their right place. Right with people and God. Romans 5, 1, therefore we've been justified by faith in Christ. And therefore we have peace with God. Come see a man, I wonder today, if your eyes are open, if your senses are alert and tuned to the man, to the God-man. I pray that as a church, we would follow hard after Jesus, that that would be our message to come see a man and that we would desire this hunger and thirst for righteousness. We would let him feel it, that we would deeply desire for things to be in their right place with God, with others, with the earth and within ourselves. Pray with me. God, we know some great writings and sermons and we could think of Jefferson's Declaration of Independence and Lincoln's Gettysburg Address or Shakespeare's Hamlet or Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream. All acclaimed, all revered, all talked about, all stirring, all of those greatly impactful. But no sermon like the sermon, Lord, we're walking through. And God, I pray that it would get past our defenses. And God, I pray that we would say today that we are thirsty. And Lord, where we look to people or fame or riches or sex or romance or achievement. They're broken cisterns. And we just keep coming back thirsty because it just never is what we thought it would be. So today, God, we look to you. Lord, I pray that we would see a man, that we would not just carry the message, come see a man, but that we ourselves would see a man. A man who says to us that true happiness is not being an elitist, a separatist, a connoisseur, a fanciful person, but it's coming humbly and realizing our common thirst. Lord, let us be agents in this world where we could affect change, where we could be little Christ, we could be Jesus, making things right. Seeking righteousness. Lord, we're hungry, we're thirsty, and we need you. Let us worship you now in spirit and in truth. Give us a glimpse of your goodness in us. In you we pray. Amen.